This morning, our scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy crown, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose, name, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. I now have to be brought low, and I know to abound. In any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, sacred, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Please join me in a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for adopting us into your body, which at this very moment in this city, Lord, in this state, in this country, even around the world, Lord, Millions of us are gathered together to worship you, to give you glory, Lord. You alone are worthy. You alone are God. You alone created the universe. You alone deserve our praise. Please accept our worship, not only here, but all throughout the world, as we seek to honor you with our hearts and our minds and our souls today. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we love you and grateful for every single opportunity that we have to honor you and to try to bless others, to share of your goodness and your grace, to share of your kindness. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for this opportunity you've afforded my wife. Thank you, Lord, that she's able to travel and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to use her gifts that you have given her to bless other women. And so I pray for her and Jackie. I pray for their travels. 
that it would be as smooth as it can be, that they would recover very quickly from jet lag, and that you would use them mightily while over in Ireland. I pray, God, that you would um, please bless the teaching and the workshops and the individual interactions that she will undoubtedly have, divine appointments with various women and the other leaders there. We pray, God, that you would use her to refresh the leadership at the church there, Calvary Cork, and the other churches that will be represented. And uh, we just thank you, God. You're so good. You're kind. Thank you, Lord. You don't need us, but you graciously use us for your glory and for the edification of the church. And it's not just about our little church right here, Lord. There are churches all around the world, and we are one in Christ, filled with the same Spirit, studying the same Bible, saved by the same sacrifice, children of the same Father, and uh, how sweet it is, God, and we thank you, and we commit all of that to you, Father. And I lift up now our time here as we study the book of James together, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would be edified, strengthened, challenged, convicted, but most of all, Lord, we wouldn't just take these things and be challenged by them, we would put them into practice and we would be changed by them, Lord, because that's our desire to be more like Christ, to grow. We don't want to be stagnant, Lord. We certainly don't want to slide backwards. Uh, we want to keep pressing forward, pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that you would use your word and your Holy Spirit to bring about that change even now. And would you be glorified here today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Okay, well, We've been in James. I mean, we're moving at like light speed compared to what we were doing in John, and I'm actually kind of digging it. We'll be done with James pretty soon, and we'll move on to another book, and I want to kind of keep this pace for a while. It's been a real blessing. And as I've already stated before, the, really the theme of James is to be a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. It's not enough to just hear the Word. It's not enough to know the Word. We have to do the Word. And that's exactly what we talked about last week. He said, faith without works is dead. There should be works that accompany our faith. If we say that we believe, it ought to be very evident in the way that we live our lives. There should not be a disconnect in that. And James will continue on with that, except today he's going to get very specific about what that looks like. What exactly does that faith being worked out in our day-to-day -day lives look like? Well, it looks like having God-honoring speech. God-honoring speech. Having the ability to tame the tongue. And so again, this is a very classic passage of Scripture, and this is going to be very challenging to all of us. No one escapes. No one escapes. Uh, and neither do I. And so I'm, I'm going to be right here with you as we're all just getting our toes stepped on and the Holy Spirit is convicting us and speaking to us. And James says as much in the text. I mean, he really makes it clear how difficult this is and how universal this is, controlling our speech to the glory of God. Now, our God... There are so many wonderful things that we can know about God. It's called the knowability of God. That's a theological term. Uh, we can't know everything about God, but there are many things we can know, and better yet, we can know Him personally. 
We can know Him relationally because God is a God who communicates. That's something else that we need to recognize. Our God is a communicating God. There are a lot of people who their perception of God is that God does not communicate. He's not concerned. He's not involved. He's some distant force or being who essentially created everything, wound it up, let go of it, and removed himself from the equation. And he's not involved. He's disinterested. And that's actually uh, open theism or um, deism. I'm sorry. Deism is the, the term for that. It's really uh, popular, believe it or not. A lot of people have that view about God, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has made himself known. He communicates. He's very involved. And first and foremost, he made himself known through creation. The Bible talks about that. That's, that's general revelation. There is so much that we can know about our God through creation itself. As we consider the world around us, we can see that obviously God's outside of time. He's eternal. He existed before all of this. God is very powerful to be able to create this world. God is extremely intelligent, uh, a genius mind to be able to create the world as it is, and on and on. But even that knowledge is limited. That knowledge is limited. God went even beyond that. God gave us special revelation. He gave us the Word of God, which helps us to understand so much more about our God, His character, His nature, His desires, the things that break His heart, that displease Him, how we can be in right relationship. And of course, God has most fully communicated Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 opens up with that very idea. God who in past times and ways has spoken to us through the, the fathers and the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the perfect communication. He is the exact expression, the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so the perfect, fullest communication of who God is is given to us in the face of Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen? Amen. And so all that to say, God communicates, and communication is very important. And we are created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that we look like God. It has nothing to do with our physical being or appearance. There are other things that come out of that idea, and one of them is that we are also made to communicate. We distinctly communicate one with another. We can express our desires, our frustrations, our offenses, our loves, our fears. We can communicate these things. And so, in a way, we reflect God and His glory when we communicate. We reflect God as communicators, those who have been created in His image. Communication is important. So we can really honor God in our communication. We can bless God. We can communicate with our God and communicate with each other in a way that it pleases God, reflects God, and blesses each other. Amen? Conversely, we can communicate in a way that displeases God, dishonors God, tears others down, and that is not good. That is bad. And as Christians, it should not be. It ought never be. And that is really what James is getting at today in our text. We have got to get it under control, the tongue. He talks about the 
tongue as though it were a person. He personifies it. The, the, the tongue and the power of the tongue, and of course you'll see that. But it's not the tongue in and of itself, obviously. It's really our speech and our heart. Our heart is connected to our speech. Our speech flows from our heart, and we'll talk more about that. And so for the Christian, this is very important, very important for many reasons. This is not just a do better and be better message. This isn't just a, you know, cuss less and try to encourage people more kind of a message, okay? It's about honoring God, reflecting the glory of Christ, and being a blessing to God's people, and also being a witness and a testimony to those who are outside of the church. Amen? Amen. All right, amen. We can all go home now. Just kidding. So I titled the message, Hush Your Mouth, or just Hush for short. And so, uh, that's, you know, t- week two, I'm really, that just fell flat. I'm just going to give up. I was on a roll with the, the humorous uh, titles for the sermon, but I guess I need to step up my game. All right, well, enough of that. Let's go ahead and look at our text together. James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a sobering verse, particularly for pastors and Bible teachers. And right out the gate, James says, Don't be in a big hurry to be a teacher, because there is a stricter judgment that we will incur. Now, why is that? Well, I would say in part... It's because if it's hard to teach something, I've come to learn, you, really, you have really learned something when you can teach it. You, have, uh, you really understand it, I should say. You really understand something if you can then explain it to somebody else in a way that they can understand it, right? So then you really have no excuse. You really have to live out the things that you claim to believe because you can't play ignorant. You can't say, well, I didn't know. I was only teaching everybody, but I didn't fully understand it myself. It doesn't work that way. But I would say even beyond that, what he's saying here is that teachers are those within the church particularly uh, have this calling to handle eternal matters, matters of life and death, and to communicate the nature and the character of God, and that is a fearful thing. That is a high and a holy calling, one that should be taken seriously, right? Um, Despite what a lot of people might think, pastors don't just roll up into the pulpit, open up the Bible, and wing it. You know, I mean, sure, there's probably times where out of necessity that has to happen, and they're like totally depending on the Holy Spirit, sure. But we take a lot of time to think through these things, to scrutinize the text, to look to other pastors and Bible teachers and scholars and church history uh, folks that have gone before us, and to compare it with other Scripture and to think through applications and illustrations. We really go to work with the text so that we can be certain that we are giving you the, the true truth. Amen? So that we can be as accurate as we can possibly be by God's grace and His Holy Spirit because we recognize the seriousness of needing to communicate accurately the things of God and what hangs in the balance. Amen? And so James says, look, 
you need to take very seriously this matter. Don't be in too big of a hurry to teach. Recognize that it's a serious matter. And so I would just say with that, recognizing words matter. Speech matters. We are communicators, and what we say matters. And the Bible indicates that we will be held accountable for the things that we say, teachers and even those who are not teachers. And so we've got to be very careful about what comes out of our mouths, okay? That is very serious, because as I said, what we want to do is honor the Lord, we want to reflect the Lord, we want to bless others and build others up. And so the Bible says so much about being careful about what comes out of our mouths. Verse 2, it says that, you know, we all stumble in many ways. Can I get an amen? amen. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so what James is essentially saying is, look, we all know we struggle, we all have our struggles, but there is one struggle in particular that we all have, and that is guarding our mouths, guarding our mouths. And he says, and if someone has that down, they have really reached a level of maturity. That's the idea here. It doesn't mean like sinless perfection, but the, the Greek word there communicates maturity. You are a mature Christian. You are a mature believer if you have the ability to watch what comes out of your mouth. Uh, in construction, there's a term, measure twice, cut once. Sometimes people will measure three or four times. And so that you only have to cut once, right? You want to get it right the first time. Well, I would say think twice, speak once. Think carefully, think long, think hard before you speak. And let me also just say this. This is not just verbal communication. Nowadays, there's a lot of communication happening online, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of these different formats that, that uh, people use. And so it's communication. It's not just verbal, audible speech. It's communication. And so having the ability to watch what... Because once it's out there, it's out there. How many times have we said things and wished that we could just take... Can't do it. All we can do then is humble ourselves, apologize, ask for forgiveness, but the damage is done. I can't tell you how many times I have sent text messages and then erased text messages. I remember years ago, um, um, this is a total admission of uh, guilt here. I, uh, I had been told that one day this would make a great sermon illustration. I hope enough time has passed. Uh, I had just become a pastor and my boss was one of the guys that voted for me to become a pastor. So I was transitioning out of uh, working at this machine shop and going on staff at the church. Something, there was kind of some last-minute formalities taking place, and one of my coworkers came up to me and said, just so you know, expect the boss to do this. And I said, he would never do that. I said, I, I don't believe that. I, I trust the guy. He wouldn't do that. And uh, lo and behold, what this particular issue was, he did. And I was irate. I was so upset. And I mean, I was trembling. So I texted my wife. 
And I told her what he did, and I used a choice word to explain what, uh, how I felt he treated me, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. And uh, I sent it, and then I realized I sent it to him. <laughs> and it was too late. And uh, so what did I do? I fired right back. I realized I sent that to you, and it is what it is, or something. You know, I wasn't backing down. And uh, you know how he responded? How, you know, he, he started, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob, Pastor Rob. Like every time he would text me, he was like really emphasizing, sorry, Pastor. And it was funny because at one of the other elders at my church, after I got ordained, he said, just wait till your wife pulls the pastor card. You'll get in a fight. And she's going to be like, way to go, Pastor Rob, which she never has, by the way. Um, but he did. And... Uh, Oh, gosh, that was just a total, I, I blew it so bad. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. You know, we got to watch that. We have the impulse to respond in the flesh and to respond quickly. And uh, how many times do we find ourselves in these kinds of situations? And uh, may it never be. It ought not be. Uh, but, hey, we all stumble in many ways. But the goal is to move beyond that. The goal is to move past that. The goal is to press on towards maturity. Amen? The goal is to be able to bridle the tongue. He uses this language, this kind of um, brings us into these following verses. He's going to use a couple of little illustrations, word pictures, if you will, to help us understand this idea of taming the tongue. Now, he already said a mature person is able to bridle the whole body. They have the ability to discipline any area of their life if they can discipline their speech. And he note the word bridle there because as you go into verse 3, it says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So now he uses this illustration of putting a, uh, and I don't know much about horses, obviously. I looked into this a little bit. You've got the bridle. It's the strap thing that goes around their mouth. But then there's the, uh, the bit that actually goes inside their mouth. And obviously, you pull one direction or the other, and the horse will turn. At least that's my understanding of it. And at least that's the way it's supposed to work. And the idea there is you have this, ma horses, if you ever have been around a horse or got close to one, they're massive. And they could just stomp you out or, I mean, who knows what, easily, and they are very large beasts, especially a wild horse, an untamed horse. But the idea here is that something so small could control this wild beast, something so small. And kind of continuing on with that same idea, he now begins to talk about ships and how a ship uh, is driven on the ocean. It says in verse 4, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so the idea here is the tongue, it's, it's a very small part of the body, a very small part of the body, but man, can it ever do damage Man, can it ever control us? Can we be controlled by our tongues? I mean, it's, it's a, it seems like an unstoppable force sometimes, does it not? 
I love the verse that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's Proverbs 15.1. Familiar with that verse? Man, that is so true. You know what the problem is, though? I never remember that verse until after I blew up. I, I have prayed, God, help me to like remember that in the moment. A soft word turns away wrath. Gosh, guys, we can really de-escalate situations by just responding with grace and gentleness. I remember one time we were, I was new here. I was the youth pastor. We uh, took the youth group on um, to youth camp down in Southern California. I'm in the church van, 15-passenger van. It's like 12-lane highway. I'm from this little town in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. If I have to wait on three cars before I can pull out, I'm about ready to lose it. I mean, there's, there's just traffic. It's not a thing. And I'm like, I'm nervous as I'll get out, and I'm following somebody else. And they, they pulled over into this other lane really quick, and I tried to follow them, and I cut somebody off. Well, I mean, we know what happens if you cut somebody off in, in California, particularly Southern California traffic. And so this guy got irate, and he flew around me, and then he cut me off, but he actually bumped into the van and hit our front bumper. And so now I'm like, okay, well, now we got to get over this highway and pull off the side of the road, and everyone's honking their horns, and the stress is high, and I don't know what this guy is going to do, and we, we get off some exit. And he jumps out of his car like he's ready to fight. And so I got out and said, bro, you don't know me. You don't know where I'm from. No, that's not what I did. I, uh, I, uh, I got out and apologized, like right out the gate. And he it just deflated it like instantly. It just brought the whole thing down. And he apologized. And uh, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And uh, the whole thing just turned on a dime. But, I mean, I could have got out and flexed on him, and who knows where it would have went from there. But, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so having the ability to, um, to, by God's grace and God's Spirit, control our speech. Uh, because the tongue... It's such a wily foe. It's so small and seemingly insignificant when you consider the body, but just like that little rudder on a ship, you got this massive ship on the, the waves of the sea and the wind that is blowing against it, and this tiny little fin on the back that moves in one direction or the other controls what happens with the ship. And so this tiny little member that is seated inside of our face can do so much destruction and can just control our lives if we let it. Um, continuing in verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A little spark is all it takes, and we know what that's like around here with all the wildfires and things that have been going on over the years. It doesn't take much, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And that's strong language, and man, that is the truth. That is the truth. 
All it takes is a little spark to start a massive fire. And we know how fast wildfires travel. It's amazing. We learned that firsthand. Some of the stories I would hear about the, the embers, they'd be like the size of baseballs and um, softballs that would be hurled, and they would hit the ground, and then it would just burst into a flame. And with the, the winds that would pick up because of the fire itself and being in the valley, I, you couldn't outrun a fire. I mean, it moves so fast. It is insane how fast it spreads. And that's the way that it is. I'm going to butcher this, but I've heard it said that gossip, rumors, untruth travel on the wings of eagles, but truth travels on the back of a turtle. You know, like rumors, gossip, it can spread so fast and do so much damage so quickly. And it can destroy reputations. It can bring down churches. And really, that's the context here. Gossip in the church. Untruth in the church. Man, how fast it can spread and the damage that it can be done. And I mean, it's just uh, the, the tongue and the evils thereof. It is like a fire that is straight from the fires of hell. This is a strong word that is used for hell in the Greek. It's actually, it actually comes from the word Gehenna. Gehenna comes from the Valley of Hinnom in Israel's time, and there was a false god named um, Molech, and they would worship this god by sacrificing their children. And the, the, the statue, it would be like this with its arms out, and they would heat it up to red hot, even white hot, and place babies on the arms of the statue. And so I think it was King Josiah came in, and he brought about reform and got rid of all of that, and they turned that place into a trash dump, a trash heap, and there would be just fires burning there constantly. And so uh, Jesus would use that as essentially a picture of hell itself and just the horrors and atrocities of what had been associated there and the foul stench and the fires that never went out. And that's essentially the word that they picked up, and that's the word that he uses here. The atrocity, the devastation that the tongue can do, and it's set on fire by hell itself. And so we have to recognize just how devastating speech can be. And so maybe I'll just park it here for a second. Our speech is so important. I think we know this. I just don't know if we know to, to the extent. Um, I love encouragement. I praise God for encouragers. And we all know what it is to have someone speak a word of encouragement into our lives. And you know that that was God. That was God that, that brought that encouragement into your life. And oh, what that does for you, how it revives the soul and the heart. But we also know what uh, other kinds of speech can do uh, to us, how devastated, how wrecked we can be because of words. We all know the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never what? Hurt me. That is not true. Words are devastating. Words can be so much more. Sometimes I'd rather have just got punched in the nose, got rocked upside the head, than to hear or have certain things that were said to me be said, right? And so there are so many ways in which our speech can manifest itself like that. There's slander, 
just talking smack, talking trash. It's your intention to make someone look bad. doesn't matter if it's true or not. doesn't matter if you even know whether it's true or not. But you are going out of your way to spread things around about people to make them look bad, to tear them apart, to cause damage in their lives. Gossip, obviously, just spreading rumors, spreading rumors. Just eat, oh, you'll never guess what I heard. You'll never guess what so-and-so did, what so-and-so said. And we can cloak it sometimes, and you just, we really need to pray for this person. I have a prayer request, right? And so let me tell you about so-and-so and what they did to me. So many ways in which this can happen. Another, complaining. Using our mouths, our tongues to complain, to, uh, to murmur, and to gripe. In fact, Philippians 3.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When you do not complain and grumble, you stand out. You shine like a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's upset. Everybody knows how everything ought to be at every single level in life. Everybody's an expert. And, you know, we could just join right in with that symphony. We can join right in with that chorus and that choir and look and sound just like the world. Or we can choose not to be murmurers and grumblers and complainers, but instead we can be those who praise God and give thanks and give forth gratitude and encourage other people and speak words of grace and wisdom and good sound advice, and we can be those who stand out in the world. Amen? That's the way that it ought to be. Speech really matters. Ephesians 4.29, well, actually, let me keep going. There's more than lying. We can be those who, uh, who speak mistruths, untruths, different levels of lying. We can be those who are full of insults, insulting people all the time. I've talked about this before, but I worked with a crew of guys, and it was like we made a game out of seeing who could cut each other down, who could be faster with, with uh, coming up with an insult. And I thought, man, I'm getting really good at tearing people down. It's like a sport, and I don't like this. And I got convicted by it, and I told the guys, I said, look, I would rather become, I don't want to be special forces in insulting people. I want to be highly skilled at edifying and building people up. I want to be good at that. And so that's something that we got to watch out for. Mocking, oh gosh, there's nothing worse than mocking. And we all, I'm sure at times, can engage in mockery. And accusing, being accusatory. Now, I'm not talking about calling someone out for something that they did that really needed to be called out. Um, but Satan He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he loves to do, get people's ears and accuse people and attack their motives and judge them unjustly. And so we've got to watch out for that if we have an accusatory spirit. I know we, we want grace, don't we? We want mercy. We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt, don't we? And so others want that from us too. And so we don't need to be those who are quick to accuse or insult or mock. Another one is profanity. How are we doing with that one? Profane mouths. Look, that, that, we'll, get, we'll get to that a little here in a few minutes in the text, but that's something that needs to go like right out the gate. Uh, sowing discord, 
sowing seeds of strife and division. God hates that. It talks about that, I think, in Proverbs. There's seven things that God hates. I think it's 16 God's hate, and yea, seven is an abomination. And the first one is a, one who sows discord among the brethren. And so watching out for that. And boasting, boasting, uh, how, you know, how great I art, you know? And there are some people, uh, man, they will just go on and on and on about how amazing they are. And, I mean, I hate to say this. I want to say it as gently as I can. You know their life is all kinds of jacked up. I don't know if it's an insecurity thing. I don't know what it is. But, man, they are singing their praises. And so let that not be so of us. If we're going to boast in anything, we boast in our great Savior. Amen? We boast in the knowledge of our God, His accomplishments, His achievements, certainly not our own. So we've got to watch out for all those things. That's, that's the bad stuff. That's what we want to fight against. That's what we, by God's grace and Spirit, need to watch out for. Keep that stuff out of our mouths. We want to be those who build others up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to the hearer. That word corrupt, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, sapros in the Greek, and it's used in other places to describe rotten fruit and fish. And it says, don't let that come out of your mouths. That's corrupt. It's rotten. It's sickening. It makes people sick. Instead, let uh, words of edification, building up, that's a construction term. It means to build, to construct. We need to be those who are constructing. We are building. We are encouraging giving, you know, having speech that gives grace to the hearer. It's a gift. Grace, that's what the word means. And so when we speak to people, it's like a gift to them. It's like, it's like uh, being built up, refreshed, encouraged. That's the kind of speech that needs to come out of our mouths. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Salt is a uh, purifying agent. It cleanses, it preserves, and it also, uh, it's, it's good for taste. It seasons. It's a good thing. And Paul in Colossians says that's what our speech ought to be like. It ought to be life-giving. It ought to be flavorful, if you will. It ought to be a good thing, all right? And our speech needs to be seasoned with salt so that we know how to engage and answer every person. We need to be those who are marked by grace. If we've received God's grace, then we are going to extend and give God's grace, and we're going to speak with grace. Amen? Because what's inside there comes out. What's inside here comes out. Um, let me keep moving. Verse 7. <clears throat> It says, for every kind of beast and bird or of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So it's just kind of a summary statement of the few verses before it. 
we, we have the ability, it's amazing, to tame all kinds of wild animals. It's amazing the kinds of things that we can see people do with all kinds of aquatic animals and animals, uh, you know, lions and tigers and on and on and on. But we still haven't figured out how to tame this one, how to tame this, this unwily beast, this um, wily beast, I think. And so unruly, I should say. Uh, we haven't figured that out. We haven't figured that out. And then he says this in verse 9. This is how bad it actually is. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Now, how is that? How can we be praising God worshiping God, and then turning around and tearing down God's people. We love you, Father. We worship you, but we just hate your people. We hate your children, and, and we're going to tear, tear each other down. That cannot be. It must not be. There has to be a consistency in our speech. So as I've said, our speech should honor and reflect the Lord our speech should build others up. It certainly has the potential to tear people down, but God delivered us, saved us, rescued us from that way of living, and now our goal, the aim of our speech is to build up and encourage others to love others, recognizing that our speech can it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And so now what he's kind of getting at here is that our speech reveals something. Our speech is quite telling. It demonstrates who we actually are. Because what comes out, it came from somewhere. Amen? And Jesus actually talks about this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, for no good trees bear bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Listen to this. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in there comes out. And when it comes out, we need to you know, do business with it, essentially. Uh, it should not be, it cannot be, and it, it, it cannot stay that way, all right? And so, we may just, what's coming out might just be a reflection of the fact that we don't know the Lord, that, uh, that we haven't come to a saving knowledge, that we haven't been given a new heart yet that we haven't really trusted Christ for salvation and been born again, and all the speech coming out of our mouths is just a reflection of that. And that's something that we need to take seriously. We need to examine ourselves, check ourselves, seek counsel from others, and pray to God and, and make sure that we've done the heart work first. Amen? But even beyond that, old, old habits die hard. And some people, for whatever reason, don't seem to take, have as big of an issue with having a profane mouth. They somehow are quite comfortable with continuing on as a follower of Jesus and cussing like a sailor. That should not be. 
Paul talks about that. That makes no sense. Uh, he says in Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So if Christ is our Savior and we have a new heart and we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we have the Holy Spirit, lest we forget the Spirit is holy, dwelling within us, it would make no sense to have all kinds of profane speech and vulgar and coarse joking coming out of our mouths. Am I right or am I right? If you can't say amen, say oh man. Uh, I mean, this just real talk, you know? This is something that we need to pay very close attention to. Our speech can destroy our credibility. It absolutely can. We can say all the right things and undo every bit of it with our speech. And you know what our chief mechanism for the gospel is? Speech. I know people like to say, um, you know, preach the gospel and then use words if necessary. You ever heard that? I get the sentiment. What they're saying is, is our lives should be a demonstration and reflection of the gospel. But the gospel is a message. The gospel has to be proclaimed through words. We have to be able to communicate who we are and our condition outside of God, who God is and what He's done for us and what God will do for us if we trust in Him. Now, all that requires words. But our words don't mean anything if our conduct and character is, is all out of whack. And so if we're going around saying all kinds of horrible things about other people, and we're full of malice and gossip and slander and profanity, and then, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. You know, God can just change your life. Like, no, it, it cannot be. So, we have to be very careful. Um, and, and what we say can be very much affected by how we say it. How we say, you know, there are times when what we want to say is very just, but the way that we say it, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Man, have I been there on many, many occasions. And so, uh, what we say and how we say it matters. And so, James just makes this point that there cannot be this inconsistency. If there is, it's hypocrisy, and something's really wrong with that. We need to repent. We need to repent. Verse 11, it says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It just can't be both. It can't be both. So if you've trusted Christ, if you've called upon Him for salvation, if you've received His Holy Spirit and have a brand new heart, then your speech ought to reflect that. Now, let me just say this. Everybody is going to stub their toe or smash their finger or have their little infant take off running out into the street, and a cuss word is most likely going to come out. Okay, let's just be honest. Let's be real. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, it would be better if we could come up with some other, you know, let's come up with some new curse words. What do you say? You know? Um, huh? B what's that? Blimey. My papa used to say, you old goat, rascal. 
and uh, yeah, blast it. That was his Christian version of cussing. And uh, but at any rate, I'm not trying to like condemn us if we have a slip up. That's not what I'm saying here. But what is it that comes out of our mouths on a regular basis? Who are we? Our speech really communicates something. It matters. It reflects God, and it affects other people. And we want to be a healthy church full of healthy, gracious speech. And we want to be a good testimony in the world, in our workplace, wherever God has us. And we need to be consistent in all of this. Amen? So, yeah, I think that does it. Well, let's end on that one. Father, we love you. We praise you. We are so grateful, God, that you're working in us. And I thank you, Father, for the fact that you've not left us alone. You've not left us without a helper. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit convicts us, sanctifies us, empowers us. Thank you, Lord, that it's because of the gospel that this could even be so. It's because of what Christ has accomplished for us that we can be made into brand new creations who have the ability to walk in this, Father. Thank you for the gracious words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So often it would be said that no one has ever spoken like this man. His words were wonderful. His words were full of grace and truth and so very kind. And that's our example. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like Him. We've received such kind words. I think of the, the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus says, Is there no one here to accuse you? And she said, No, Lord, none. And He said, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Such gracious words. Such gracious words. <clears throat> and those are the words that were spoken to us. Jesus, you do not condemn us. Thank you. We praise you. And it's for that reason that we desire to honor you with all of our lives, with our thoughts, with our hearts, with our interpersonal interactions, with our words. We desire that you would have every part of us, Lord, and nothing less. And so help us, God, for indeed this is a very difficult task. James was saying it as it is when he communicated just how powerful of a force the tongue is and how difficult the battle is. But thank you, Lord, that you are greater and that we have all that we need for life and godliness through you, Jesus Christ. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace. May He give you the strength and the grace that you need this week to be a testimony and a witness to Him and His goodness and His grace, that your speech would be seasoned with salt and that it would reflect God and all of His goodness and kindness in this world. Amen? Amen. All right. See you guys.